0: We've been talking a lot on this podcast about the greatest football player of all time, Lionel Messi, and his epic stateside move. Now you can join Messi as he embarks on his historic next chapter with Apple TV Plus' new documentary series, Messi Meets America. Follow along Messi's journey as he takes North America and Major League Soccer by storm, ushering in a new era with his inner Miami teammates. This series is streaming now only on Apple TV Plus.
1: This is what the playoffs do to people. Honestly, it's like they don't remember where they are. They don't remember their their upbringing. They don't remember their their manners. Uh, and and then we get to talk about it. So hey, welcome welcome to the playoffs.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Offside with me, Taylor Twellman. It is Wednesday afternoon, and I am in heaven. Well, not really, but I'm coming to you live. From beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, the Valley of the Sun. I will be wearing my Speedo for about four hours at the pool in about 20 minutes. I also will pay tribute to the Pablo Mastroianni statue that is by the pool. One of those is true, and I'll let you pick which one it is. Pablo, you can Apple pay me $10 later. Today, we're getting into all of the playoff moments from last week, but first, we're gonna look ahead of what's to come. Before the playoffs even get back underway on Friday, We've got a celebration of sports and of the GOAT. Inner Miami hosts in New York City in a friendly to honor Lionel Messi's 8th Ballon d'Or. The Noche Dior, 8 o'clock Eastern on Apple TV. But following that, a do-or-die decider between Seattle Sounders and FC Dallas. That should be a real good one at Lumen Field. And then this weekend... The decisive third matches: Houston, Real Salt Lake, Columbus, Atlanta, all on Sunday. With the prize being a spot in their conference semifinals, you can catch all of this in one place: MLS season pass on Apple TV. So, how did we get here? What's happened in the last seven days? Today, we're going to be joined by the Athletics, Felipe Cardenas, and we're going to start in his territory, Atlanta United. Not because he was just at the game; he was in the damn locker room afterwards. Getting the lowdown, and then we're also going to work through some of the big news items from the past 24 to 48 hours. Without further ado, Felipe Cardenas. All right, my man, let's get right into it. You are the news guru for me, for everybody else. You make it sound a lot better than I do, Felipe. I do this podcast last week, Phil Neville's with me, but the background on Zoom is blurred. And then I find out eight minutes later, he's in Portland, Oregon.
1: Timbers are reportedly in the final stages of hiring their next head coach. And while nothing official has been announced here, it seems fans already are not happy. What do you make of the hire? It's interesting to me. Like, I, you know, I said recently, you know, I think Phil Neville, I'm not surprised he got a job again in MLS. I do think he's he is a big name, you know, and, and you can de- you can decide whether that's because of his playing career, his relationship with with David Beckham, his past uh, but he strikes me as a, as a motivator, right? Yes. As someone that that can get a locker room to rally around uh, a certain objective and, and really strive for. I don't know how good of a tactician he is, though, and and I think we're going to find out in in Portland because Portland, you know, yes, Inter Miami has Messi and 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 be, they become this global brand, uh, but they're just a five year old club. You know, Portland yep. has a ton of history. The expectations in Portland are much higher, in my opinion. And and I think the fan base there is going to find out whether Phil Neville's just a very good talker, a, a, a good PR person, or is he a good coach? Uh, and so, yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised that 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 he landed in Portland, not that he got another job in MLS.
0: A couple things stood out to me. One, he's keeping Miles Joseph, Liam Ridgewell on there, so that's smart. I think Miles Joseph showed a real propensity to push the right button, so to speak. I think the roster turnover is going to be very interesting there. I think you're going to see a lot of new players come in. They're going to finally find themselves in number nine. That's what the rumors Now, whether it's in the winter or the summer, whatever that may be, Phil Neville won me over with how he handled Gonzalo Higuain. That's the ability of an ex-player connecting with a big-time star player to get him going the right way. The difficult part is the Timbers Army is extremely influential. Yeah. And you know this, I know this, anyone that 's been there th- when they come out immediately with a statement that they 're upset with this now, I think it 's a little harsh to go through the sexist comments which Phil Neville's already been open about that yeah. he 's apologized for numerous amount of times, but also said it 's not me, and i 'm willing to have a conversation.
1: The tweets that I put out was was <laughs> was wrong in two thousand and eleven, and they 're wrong today, so uh, I want to get to know the Timbers Army. I want to get to know everybody in the city. I want them, them to get to know me as a person, as a character. And uh, I, want, I want to make sure that there's an incredible trust between us. And the main thing is is that I think we have the, a common goal, and, the, and that's we want to be successful and we want to win.
0: But I think pressure is going to be on them right away, Philippe, because the Timbers Army and company are like, hang on a minute. We're not a big fan of this.
1: Yeah, and, and and again, I think he he's stepping into an organization that has had some serious issues over the last few years with the culture, with sexism, honestly. And so, Mary Paulson under a lot of pressure there to get that right. And so, when you hire someone that had issues with this in 2014 with some sexist tweets, I think it rubbed people the wrong way. You know, you know, Phil Neville in his press conference immediately owned up to it. He he said yep. he wants to to get to know the Timber's Army. He wants that relationship to be solid. But that's going to be hanging over his head if, to your point, he doesn't start really well. And and one other thing about Phil Neville, I mean, you mentioned Gonzalo Higuain. You know, Inter Miami was was a mess when he took the job. A (laughs) mess, how you know it. And and so you have to give him, I think, that benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, it's like I'm not sure what Phil Neville's style is. What is his philosophy? Mm -hmm. What is the prototypical Phil Neville team? look like and play like. And so that's going to be something else that we're all going to discover on the fly in Portland. Like you mentioned the turnover, like what type of players does he want to bring in? What type of striker does he want? Does he want creative players like the ones that have Mm. been there, like Sebastian Blanco and Santiago Moreno, the young Colombian? You know, what does the strategy look like now in Portland? It's just a lot of questions that have to be answered.
0: Yeah. And and honestly, if we judge that based on Miami, we're not doing it Fairly, because they had roster restrictions. They couldn't do anything to his level. The fact that he made the playoffs in the first year, I think he deserves a second shot. I'm a little surprised it's in Portland, but it's got me intrigued. What also has me intrigued, you hit the nail on the head when you posted this on social media, but Christian Latanzio parts ways with Charlotte. Latanzio just led the club to its first playoff appearance and a ninth place finish in the Eastern Conference. He took over as interim coach last year. Latangio signed a deal to become the permanent head coach last fall. The team says it is immediately beginning the search for a replacement. Charlotte will now have their
1: third coach in their third season. I'm not so sure this is the way you want to run an expansion side. It's not. And, and being here in Atlanta, I, I've seen what can happen when you start out well and then cycle through coaches. Atlanta United, I think, is still trying to find their footing after two years of Tata Martino and then Boer, Heinze, interim coaches... And finally, Gonzalo Pineda, and, and Charlotte is in that space. You know, they they went through this big hire with Miguel Anier Ramirez, who I thought was yes. like, wow, you bring in one of the the gurus of tactics in South America to MLS, and it doesn't work out. And and honestly, the sporting department and Miguel Anier Ramirez, that was the issue. And you've decided, you say, okay, we're we're mo- we're moving this coach who is now coaching in Spain with Sporting Gijon. And Ror, he won everything in South America. He won everything mm-hmm. with Independiente El Valle, this Ecuadorian club with all these great players. That's where Moises Caicedo came from. A bunch of great players have come from there. And you go with Christian Latanzio because it seems like the players were happier with that culture. And it just doesn't work out. Uh, you know, Charlotte has the potential to be great. You know, they have Agreed. everything, they have all the money. Look at the fan base. I mean, it's pretty incredible Agreed. every game that they show up for, and it's a mediocre team. Uh, and so this is a big red flag for me because I don't think they got it right with removing Miguel on Ramirez to, to begin with, uh, and and clearly when you fire a coach after you know he sort of miraculously gets you to the playoffs, then what are you doing next? It's going to be a big question for for Tepper and the ownership group.
0: Yeah, and also the roster. Listen, Swiderski's been fine, but every other designated player hasn't lived up to it. It feels like a lot of square pegs and round holes, and then when you couple that with changing the manager all the time, listen, Felipe, I'll be shocked if Swiderski's not sold. Uh, This summer, they had legit offers come in. They wanted to see the year out. I'll be shocked if he's not sold, so at least there's profit there. What do you do with Capetti? If you get another offer the way you had this summer, I think you move on and turn it over yeah. But if you bring in a manager that doesn't have a say in the style of play and the designated players that you're going to bring in on the roster, then it's not, it doesn't, this league, your designated players have to fit the yeah. manager's persona and ideas. And if it doesn't, you and I have seen it. Look at Toronto this year. Look at the LA Galaxy this year. It's not going to work. Those are no. so important when you're spending that kind of money at the top end of your roster. Before I move on to other news, What job out there that's still there are going to be there at
1: the end of the year do you think is the most hot, exciting job opening in the league? Maybe this is my Midwest bias. I think it's Chicago. I still think it's Chicago, man. That, That team should be, honestly, a killer club. It should be great. They should be a perennial contender. They should have an awesome fan base. They should be able to attract big stars to the city of Chicago. You know, that was my team. You know, I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, Chicago Fire. They were good, man, when they came into the league. And they played well, and they had an attitude, and they had a style. And look at those teams from back in the day. They've just lost that luster and that direction. And so for me, it's always going to be Chicago. The day they get it right, and they hire the right coach, and they change the sporting philosophy, and they start playing attractive soccer, and they start attracting that fan base in the greater Chicago area— I think that club could be unstoppable.
0: I agree. I think it's the most pressing issue, quite honestly, because Chicago Fire, Soldier Field, that brand, this league's exponentially better. It's fact, not opinion. When Chicago Fire yep. operating on a high level, you listen to the rumors of Robert Lewandowski, and it, now mm-hmm. the timing of him wanting to come here. Chicago naturally is that, but so is the LA Galaxy. I think the biggest talking point is going to be the Galaxy with two deep spots open. I was going to say the Galaxy, to too. I was going to yep. say the
1: Galaxy, and also not just at the coaching level, but... Now the DPs, you know, Chicharito. Na- it's Levy. a lot. Yeah, like what happens with, it's like, it's almost like you're hitting your the big red reboot button in LA. And, and that's the, the same thing you said about Chicago. I'll say about the LA Galaxy. When okay. the LA Galaxy is bad, it's not a good look for MLS. It's, it's not just not it's a not. good look for the Galaxy. It's not a good look for the league and for the branding of American soccer because before Messi arrived in Miami, you go anywhere on the world and you know, name an MLS team in China or in Bulgaria, and they're going to mention the LA Galaxy. Uh, And so that team needs to be a lot better. Uh, You know, with Chicharito Hernandez now moving on, you know, I'm so intrigued by what they do. You know, I'll throw in one name that I think I know they were very interested in. I think maybe they go back to is Joseph Martinez as a number nine. Perhaps that's someone that they want to go to. But Uh, What happens with Greg Vanny? What happens with the whole project? You know, it's going to be interesting. It's the New York Yankees. When
0: they're bad, it's not great for baseball. When the Cowboys are bad, it's not great for the NFL. When the Lakers are bad, it's not great. And when the Montreal Canadiens are not good for the NHL, it just doesn't kind of fit. The LA Galaxy got to get back to being the LA Galaxy because the winningest franchise in MLS hasn't been winning as of late. Big news item, I think, in the Eastern Conference Kai Wagner was suspended for three games Jim Curtin announced during the investigation he wouldn't travel now again more issues away from the ball looks like Wagner the latest to not be pleased particularly with Frione for the lateness of the challenge the referee is going to have to get this sorted I know there was a lot of angst on social media with the New England Revolution fans of saying, how come the decision hasn't been made yet? I I appreciate the due diligence of the league to make sure they get all the right answers and you're innocent until proven guilty. Why do you think it actually came earlier than maybe what you and I were expecting because they wanted to make sure they had all their facts aligned?
1: Yeah, I, I do think the league handled it. Well, because and this is according to the reports from Tom Boger and 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 Paula my colleagues at the Athletic. You know, Kyle Wagner came and said, "Yeah, I, he admitted to it. He admitted to using a racial slur, and he immediately put himself in the program, essentially uh, mm-hmm. in what he has to do to rehabilitate himself and and kind of go through everything that Major League Soccer has in place for players that violate that code of conduct." And so he, that's why this is, in my opinion, a, a little has been dealt with swiftly. That's why Jim Curtin probably knew in in his press conference that Kai Wagner would not be able to travel. The suspension was probably just not official at the time. You know, Major League Soccer, for as much progress as it's made, it's still in the same unfortunate place as the rest of the soccer world, where Mm -hmm. racism is still this toxic problem that is difficult to get rid of. Uh, Major League Soccer is not immune to it. And they have now that you can see that they have programs in place to deal with it. Yeah, I can understand, you know, Dante Van Zier, when he went, This it, it seemed like it took forever to, to get that done. And according to this report from Tom Borger and Pablo Mares, because he, Van Zier didn't admit to what he said, and it took him forever to get to that place. Uh, so this is a little bit different with Kai Wagner because he was much more forthcoming. But the, for me, the red flag is that it continues to happen. You know, that's that's the unfortunate part of the news.
0: Absolutely. 100%. That's the most important part of the entire thing. And the fact that he will not play in the second match of this series is the league and the office and the review was spot on. It was perfect yeah, we're because about they got the, the job
1: to, done. Yeah. We're talking about the perhaps the best left back in the league. You know, oh, no, he just, is the best left back <laughs> you know, in the league. Like,
0: I, th- I think Palacios could be in the conversation, but absolutely. Yeah. And I think three games is fair. I'm just glad it happened before the second match. What's going to be interesting, though, and the same topic, because I think this one's extremely controversial. Matt Miazga. Now, starting for Cincinnati, Miazga scores. That <laughs> shows his appreciation to the Red Bull faithful, and the booze follow. Miazga shown a yellow card here in penalties from the referee. I don't care what anyone tries to convince me on.
1: I need to talk Matt, about that one, man. That's crazy. I mean, I
0: mean Felipe, th- just <laughs> think about this. Listen, 11 yellow cards Matt Miazga has this year. Three of those are for tackles. Yeah, Three. That means yeah. eight yellow cards are for what I like to call baby games. Shenanigans.
1: Two. Descent, descent he- as, the, as the book calls it. Descent. <laughs> exactly.
0: But, that, but, but, but there's different levels of descent there's yeah. levels of descent when you're doing one thing. This is not.
1: No. I, no. What
0: do you make of this entire thing? Because you guys at The Athletic did some real good reporting on this.
1: Yeah, well, let's touch on that first. Again, another shout out to Tom Boger and Pablo Maurer, who have not slept over this last week. Uh, <laughs> you know, Tom said <laughs> what the other are you day. Doing in our by cha- the
0: way, that do you even uh, work for The Athletic anymore or what?
1: Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Who wants to hire me? I'm open. Um, no, I mean, you, sometimes you got to be a mercenary, right? No. Listen, yes, you know, Tom exactly. Boger. Tom Borger said the other day, there's way too much news happening in MLS right now. And, and this and it's true, you know, maybe that's not the narrative that the league wanted, but hey, we're talking about the league and we're talking about uh, see I disagree
0: uh, with it, that. I think it's fantastic. I, it is I agree so I, good for I, the league.
1: I think it's great too. I think it's great too. Now, Matt Miazga, I think there's two sides to this story, right? Like that's the number one thing from from what the, from what Pablo and Tom reported yesterday. The Professional Soccer Referees Association. Uh, has claimed that Matt Miazga was forcibly removed from the referee room after ha- being hostile uh, after the match, forcing himself into that room. Obviously, just hearing that, you're like somewhat shocked. You're like, wow, like yes, you see, you just if you watch world soccer, you see players losing their minds to with referees all the time. But this, you know, moving into this like private space, I think that the the initial report just sounded pretty extreme. Now, based on the reporting from Pablo and Tom, you know, there's another side of the story. There are sources saying that that has been blown out of proportion, that that's not what happened, that he left on his own, that he was um, escorted away, Was he wasn't forcibly removed. So I think that we're going to find out what truly happened very soon. And the fact that the league is investigating is going to tell you that there will be, I think, more truths than speculation very soon. But Taylor, I just want to say the penalty, the yellow card, because I, I know what he's trying to do. Here's what: if he he would have saved himself a yellow if he just scores a penalty, taps his heart and walks away, just walk away. But the, but he, but Matt Miazga can't do that. He cannot do that. You know, he he has to sort of make the show out of it. Then Carlos Coronel, the the goalkeeper, doesn't understand what he's doing. Thinks that he's talking trash, and he loses his mind. And that's that was just a huge mistake by Matt Miazgaard. But, but
0: Felipe, that's the thing. I've watched it now 10 times. If he blows the kiss, does the heart once, That's I it. think the referee allows it. Allows Me too. It. Me too. He came back to the well two or three times. <laughs> and I think Pat Noonan said it best because postgame, his quote was verbatim, If you're going to go over to the opposing fans and taunt and have that moment and act in a certain way, expect shit to be thrown at you and to happen. It's good learning moments to understand how better to navigate the in the moment feelings about a call or fouls compounding. But I've had enough of this frustration because now, guess what, Felipe? The MLS Defender of the Year. And by the way, hold on. Let me stop my train of thought real quick. I do love villains. We need more of them. I think Matt Miazga is going to turn into one now, even bigger than he is. But listen to me. The MLS Defender of the Year, you've had 11 yellow cards, only three for tackles. That means eight for descent. In the 27 games with Matt Miazga, they've only given up 28 goals. In the seven games without Matt Miazga, They've given up 11. Yeah. I understand Pat Noon and Dominic Kinnear, and Kenny Arena being like, dude, we're done with this shit. Stop. Yeah, you can't. You but can't then, do But then, but Felipe, you cannot go into the referee's room.
1: No, and you know, it, there's a lot of talk around world soccer right now about referees. And so that they're diminishing authority. You know, you saw Ange, Paul Stikoglu, the Tottenham uh, manager, Fantastic come on say audio, like. Fantastic audio, by the yeah. way.
0: Look, I've said it before. I don't like it. I don't like the standing around. I don't like the the whole sort of theatre around. You know, waiting for decisions. But I, I know that I'm I'm in the wilderness of that. I'm, I'm kind of on my own. That in my 26 years, I was always prepared to ref, accept the referee's decision, good, bad, or otherwise. And I've had some shockers in my career. Let me tell you. And I've had some go my way as well. But I'd cop that because I just wanted the game to be played. But I grew up afraid of referees. they would a bit like policemen, you know? But nowadays,
1: I guess we talk back to policemen as well. So maybe it's just, like I said, I'm old school, mate. So I'm, I'm, I'm a bygone era. It's funny how he describes growing up with referees. as like, I saw them as police officers. You respect a police officer. Like, you didn't want to get in trouble. And now everyone yells at the referee. I I totally agree with that. Like, you should have an opinion of a referee, but it's gotten out of hand. And when you when you run into their the referee room because you're upset about a yellow that you deserved, uh, you know, that's a problem. Matt Miazga is also deserving of Defender of the Year in my opinion.
0: Absolutely. I voted for so him. Let's, so let's say
1: that. Yeah, so we mentioned villains. What makes a villain great is when they're good, when when they're a good player. You know, look at slots on Joseph Martinez, like these guys that wanted to be uh, front center wanted the opposing fan bases to be booing them because it just turned them on to score more goals, and so Matt Miazga is certainly in that realm. and And I agree; like he's been a linchpin for that back line. He's finally found a home in MLS after I think eight teams in six different countries. Uh, but when you put yourself in a position where now your team is. It is really debilitated by you know by losing it. I don't know who's going to step in for him. By the way, it's not like that's a deep back line in Cincinnati. I mean,
0: Haglund's out for a hamstring out, injury for yeah. the rest of the season. So you're, that's what Pat Noonan's talking about. Exactly. Understanding the moment. You talk about Ange, the Tottenham manager, and his quote. I thought Mauricio Pochettino, Chelsea's manager, was fantastic as well. I guess coming back to Tottenham, you expected there would be a lot to talk about, but boy, there's a lot to talk about. It was a very strange evening in some ways. No, no, it's strange. That is the football that I think we, we won <laughs> and it's there, <laughs> what well, we can do. The technology is there and yes, uh, and then we need to accept because many, many in a competitive game like it was today, too many things happen on the pitch and then you need to, you know, to, to verify and, and, to, and to check. I think the authority of the referees needs to be brought back to earth. I think they've got to be given the authority. But make no mistake about it, you have to respect them on and off the field. You cannot enter the referee room. I don't care who you're with, I don't care how you go about it. It's been a rule and a law for how long, Felipe. So now, (laughs) now you're putting yourself not only suspended for the game more than likely against Philadelphia, but it could be against New England. It could be another game or two. Yeah. So now you're compounding the idiocy of blowing fake kisses and, heart and doing all of that to the ripples. That's what's mind boggling to me. You're not you're not using your brain in that moment.
1: But that's how he plays. That's Matt Miazga. You know, I think it's it's he's on that that cusp all the time. And sometimes that emotion can, can can make a player really good and can drive a team forward and all that. But it can also there's there's a line that gets crossed, and and that's that's the risk of having players like that. It's it's tough. I understand Pat Noonan. He must be like you know that's my guy. But you, blew I mean, it. that's the MLS
0: Defender of the Year. He has single handedly yeah. changed the complexion of that defense. And now in the biggest games of the of the year for them, he may not have them available, which is remarkable to say that out loud let's look around the rest of the playoffs you were there in atlanta the second game of that matchup against columbus crew fantastic game Make no mistake about it. 4-1. Jakobakis, you and I talked at the beginning of the year. He's got that chip on his shoulder. He said he wanted to be number seven. Joseph Martinez or not, doesn't care, doesn't worry about that. He's got that.
1: A goal to assist. He was fantastic. He was great. I talked to him recently. A big story for The Athletic. Go read it because... Listen, y- y- Yakimakis is was wh- right up there. Not a villain, but he's like he wants to be a big time player. He wants to be the man. He said it. Uh, he, he his role models are Cristiano Ronaldo and Slattanimiric, em- Hem- Him- Hem- and he tells me why. He's like I love Slatan's attitude and his mentality. And he's the one thing he says like when you look at Slatan he w- he walks the walk and he talks the talk. And so like that's Yakimakis. You know, this is a guy that's been anxious, desperate to be the main man his entire career. And he gets to MLS, and I think he's going to be an MLS MVP candidate as soon as the year starts next year. He's going to be the number one golden boot, along with Des Buonga again. This is a fantastic signing because you met, you said it. He had to come in and replace the legend in Joseph Martinez, and he, and he did. did. It, and he did, absolutely. And so it's a great signing by Carlos Bocanegra and the rest of that technical staff to go to Scotland and say, we want you to come here when his – is essentially, his career at Celtic was falling apart, and so that was huge. Now, forty plus thousand at the bends, it was very loud, and, and and they get a win against my favorite to win MLS Cup. I think the Crew are still the better team. They had the first thirty minutes. It was great soccer from the Crew to to watch Wilfred Nancy play chess, you know, on live television. But in the end, at the bends, you know, Atlanta when they get running at you and and they open up the scoring. They're different, they get confident. Dude. They're just a different team, yeah. Um, They're and different. I'll mention I think Silva. I think Silva changes it. He does. And I, and we talked to him after the game. You know, the first we you know the reporters were there. So we have to ask you about the miss. And he said it's just part of football. He, he downplayed it right away. Uh, the Spider Man mask was for his two year old son who loves Spider Man. He planned it. He had a staffer behind the goal waiting to it. give him that mask. I mean, that's confidence right there. And so. Again, we go back. The personalities that MLS needs, they're, 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 they're coming up again in the playoffs. But this has been a great series. I think this is now up in the air. Anyone can win it.
0: Do you really believe that? Because, I, and I do. Gonna, I do. Last night, second match of this game against Atlanta United, you have dominated the game for 30 minutes. Dominated the game. Felipe, if the game doesn't go their way, part of the reason why I love them is they're stubborn as all get out. Yep. They believe there's only one way to play the game. It's Wilford Nancy's way, and I freaking love it. However, in the playoffs, as St. Louis City's shown, and we'll get into that in a moment, if you don't have a plan B, you're screwed. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, Atlanta has one moment of brilliance, and they're gone. They're gone. Columbus is gone. They don't know how to go about their business. They lose the game 4-2. They don't know how to figure out where the game can be played. I don't think they can win games 1-0. I don't think they can win games 2-0. They can, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. at home, I think at home they're going to be very dangerous. I think it's going to be a tough out. But Atlanta has
1: Tiago Almada. They didn't have a last
0: game. That's the caveat. But I'd be shocked if Columbus loses
1: this at home. I, I agree. I again, listen. I, I picked Columbus to win MLS Cup. Okay, so like they'll
0: lose on the road if they beat Atlanta. I'm telling you that right now. So
1: yeah, and, and again, <laughs> I also asked Gonzalo Pineda, Atlanta United's head coach, yesterday. Are, are you after he was like, we were so aggressive and all this? I'm like, okay, are you going to do that in Columbus? And it was funny because he's like, I need to watch the film first. He didn't want to say yes, but yes, he'll have Tiago Mata back, and and he's just. He's a, he's a fabulous player, you know. He didn't even have a great night, to me, in my opinion, but a great night for Tiago Mata. Great is, goal, though. Yeah, it's a great goal. He's still press resistant. Like he did a lot of things that helped Atlanta in key moments. And, and again, like a poor game or a, an average game for Tiago Mata is a great game for a lot of players. It's going to be interesting if Atlanta goes and if they're too defensive like they were in game one without Thiago, then they're just handing the, the game over to Columbus. To your point, Columbus knows what to do. If you mix and match and you run at them and, you, and it becomes a track meet, yeah, they get a little confused. And are they soft? You know, that's an interesting way to put it. I think their hard man in the middle is just young right now, Aiden Morris. I think he's going to be very good. And, and Jordan leung has never been that type of player. You know, Camacho in the back uh, can be that guy. But yeah, you know, they don't come across. They come across as a finesse team. I'm like that's that's just how they play. Yep, they're very good. They're very good in the attack. It's fun to watch. But yeah, if you want, to, maybe if you go toe to toe and sort of get under the skin, that's the way to beat the crew.
0: I think that's going to be an interesting game. The biggest surprise of the first round, unequivocally, is the winning team in the Western Conference, St. Louis City, being very anemic against Sporting Kansas City. I think Peter Vermees has to make a sub or two. I it, really do. It has not been anything from Sporting Kansas City in the last 20 minutes. It's been all St. Louis in this half. Now Johnny Russell. Keita's in the middle. Keita might be behind. Shallowy as well. Keita! Shalloway! Against the run of play, Daniel Shalloway does it again. Now, you and I are in the same camp. Sporting Kansas City already showed signs that they were going to be a difficult out. They are not your traditional eight seed because they were desperate for so long. What was your biggest takeaway from the two games
1: from Sporting Kansas City and St. Louis City? First, just a very basic soccer thing is that I noticed, despite an an incredible year— they just don't have that technical of a team. Like, nope. that was what I noticed in in that game. You know, you're playing Sporting Kansas City that also isn't like a super technical team, but they're, they're, they're but you know... But they
0: looked way more technical yes. than you,
1: which tells you exactly what that and is. And I think it's because they have way more to lose, Saint, uh, Sporting Kansas City. They had way more to lose if they're out in this first round. They know who they are. Yep. You know, despite this excellent year from St. Louis City, they're still figuring out, like, what wh- who they are, what this project is, how they're going to play. What players are going to stick around? That's not Sporty Kansas City. They have the most longest tenured coach in, in the league and they have mm-hmm. veteran players. And so I noticed that St. Louis for the first time really looked like a new team. And, and when the lights were really bright, you know, I think they they struggled a little bit. But they, you know, moving forward, I just think they need a little bit more creativity and, and they need to be able to play in those games and win out. So, you know, it, was it a shock? No, it's it sounds like a shock because it's, they're a number one seed. But but Sporting Kansas City just found their rhythm at the right time of the year.
0: In Sporting News, we did a little bit of a preview of me, Sasha Clash, and Bradley Wright Phillips just going through who would be the team most likely to be knocked out in the first round, which would be an upset. I didn't think twice about it. It was St. Louis City. Only two wins in your last 10 games, if you include the playoffs. You lost four in a row. And here's where I am with St. Louis City, Felipe. First off, St. Louis City had 56 points. But when you use the analytics to come in, they outdid their analytical expectation of points by 12. Mm. They were supposed to only have 44. Well, how does that happen? Your goalkeeper has a sublime season. Yeah. You'll also have three game-winning goals that were handed to you on a platter <laughs> from the opposition. Yeah. You and I both know if those don't happen, they're more than likely draws. Yep. Well, there's six points right there. The reason why I bring this up is it's almost as if when St. Louis City won the West, they felt like the season was over. That chip on their shoulder, the constant conversation of saying we're proving everybody wrong. The moment they had any pressure, they combusted. They
1: whittled, yeah, they did. They
0: combusted. They whittled under pressure yeah. immediately and their best players did not show up. Look at who showed up for Sporting Kansas City. Gadi Kinda, Alan Palido, Daniel Shallowy. The fact that Daniel Shallowy has second most career goal contributions in Sporting Kansas City playoff history.
1: That's ridiculous. That's under the yeah, radar. I didn't know that's that. That's under
0: the radar. But in the big games, Klaus, Leuven. Leuven hasn't had a goal since July 15th. Yeah. It just looked like, Berkey. as you said Berkey, best, Berkey as well. Berkey, Berkey. didn't show up. Exactly. Exactly. It just looked like they were a new team finally when pressure got cooked up a notch.
1: I always said about St. Louis City, can they avoid the deer and headlights look when the playoffs start. And they didn't, you know, they didn't. And, and again, perhaps it was the worst matchup that they could have gotten with Sporting Kansas City that started the year with 10 games and no wins and all the pressure and Vermees should leave and he should be out. Like I was even saying, like maybe it's time for Peter Vermees to go. Yeah, um, yeah. And what is happening in, in Kansas City? Is that team good enough? Is it too old? And again, sometimes that's, that's all a team needs to rally behind, uh, you know, their project. I don't think Sporting Kansas City... Is going to get much farther. You know, I think this this might be the end of the road for them, but uh they were they were deserved winners in that first series.
0: Yeah, and it's gonna be interesting to see some of the injuries were sport in Kansas City. And Dembe looked like he kind of came up with something kinda, of, so that's gonna be interesting. I think the international break is gonna help them get healthy. Um, Orlando City, Nashville. This could be loose and Zimmerman battling with Ongulo Who's going to bring it away? And McCarty in there as well. And the shot and the goal for Orlando on the road. The early breakthrough. The Lions silencing Jonas Park. A bit of a calamity in the back from that Nashville group who are defensively usually so strong. And Ongulo scores. Orlando lead. This is an interesting conversation because for me, I understand why Nashville supporters are asking the question, is this as far this team can go? Listen, as an expansion team, they've made the playoffs all four years. Uh, Gary Smith has pushed all the right buttons. Hani Mukhtar's a fantastic player. They got shut out six of the last seven games. Since July 1st, only three wins in MLS. Yeah. They fell flat. Not the team you and I watched in the League's Cup Final, but it's also against Orlando City for me that when you look at the numbers – since the League's Cup final, they're the best team in all of Major League Soccer. More points than anyone. They look like they're playing with a purpose. They're managers managing for a contract. Let's start with Nashville. Gary Smith, has he taken this team as far as he can take them? You
1: know, perhaps. I think on paper, with everything you just said no goals in 300 minutes, too, for Nashville. That's just a shocking stat. And because they have a personality of being a defensive team, that jumps out at you. That my, That's where the evolution has to begin. I, that's what That was my take yesterday. I, it's time to evolve. You know, it's fine to be that team that, you know, you come into it the league it. and you figure out a way to survive and make the playoffs by leveling the playing field, by being defensive. And Gary Smith has always been that way. You know, this is a guy that won an MLS Cup in Colorado, you know, playing in a similar style. But you look at the direction of the league, uh, you've got to score goals. You've got to score goals. You yep. have to entertain uh, and you mentioned at the stadium, they have everything going for them. I don't know if, if this is enough for Gary Smith to be fired. You know, is, is the seat hotter? Yes. Uh, but I think this is something that the sporting department can solve alongside him. You know, start to restructure the roster a little bit, especially in the attack, uh, you know, f- who could help Hani Mukhtar? He's doing it all by himself. Is Serge the
0: guy? Is Serge the guy in your opinion? I don't no, know if he is. No, And I, I took a lot of criticism of that, but I said it right away. He's never scored more than 10 goals in a calendar year, Felipe.
1: Nashville's always struggled with that center forward, that signing. You know, they know. haven't found the guy. And when you find the guy, you you make a lot of progress. We mentioned Atlanta already. You know, they struggled too to find a center forward after Joseph Martinez, but now they have one in Yakimakis. Nashville needs a number nine, a prolific number nine that can take... Pressure off of Honey Mukhtar and play alongside him. It's like they have the the other pieces. You know there are some. You know, look at the midfield. You know, does that need to be refreshed? You know that that's a very respectable midfield. You know, with Dax Bacardi there, but you know, do, do they need some younger legs? You know, do they need some more creativity coming out of that central midfield? But you know, Nashville has has a moment. They're they're in a come to Jesus moment, in my opinion, Taylor. I think it's time to to really look at the project and 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 find a new solution there.
0: And I think Orlando City has been really, really good. And I mean really good. The, the fact that this is their first road playoff win in Orlando's history, I understand that. But this is an Orlando side that is in a real purple patch of form if you look at it. They haven't lost away since September 20th.
1: Right. I don't think they've lost think a game that, since May or something. Three like,
0: games since May, right? The, it's like... I I don't know if anyone in the East really wants to play the the Lions. I I just don't see it, Felipe. I don't want to play them. Why? Because the team in purple always just makes you hate that day. (laughs) They hate it. You hate playing against them. Fans hate watching it. Unless they're your team. That's the one thing I've always respected about Oscar Perea. Yeah. He doesn't care. He wants the opposition to be uncomfortable. His players make them uncomfortable, and I think Yanson, who arguably could have been MLS Defender of the Year, that's why I voted for Taylor. Hey,
1: that's why I voted
0: you're, for you. You see what I mean? Yeah. And then Duncan McGuire again. They found a rookie center back, center forward that can all of a sudden score goals for fun. I kind of like Orlando City, and I've found Pat Noonan, Philadelphia Union, Columbus Crew, whoever it is. Atlanta, I don't want to
1: play them. Atlanta, you don't want to. I don't uh, want to play no, them. No way. So let's start with Oscar Pereira because I think he's. This is a big story. His contract is going to end here, and and he's going to be one of the hottest free agents if they don't re-sign him in in Major League Soccer. Uh, the, the thing about Oscar Pereira that I that I really like is uh, being Colombian, growing up in a Colombian household. I remember watching Oscar Pereira as a player, and he mm-hmm. sets up his teams the way that the Colombian football was in the 90s. It's a 4-4-2, essentially. You know, you've got two, yes. you know, four very good defenders, two central midfield, defensive central midfielders. And in, in, in Rolando, you have the the young Uruguayan, Cesaro de Rujo, you've got the Peruvian in Cartagena. These are guys that will tackle, talk trash. Uh, mm. You know, they'll take the yellow when they when they have to. They'll do the the tactical foul. They'll get under your skin. And and that's the football, that's the soccer that Oscar Pereira grew up playing. We talk so much about identity and philosophy. That this is a team that you can say plays the way that their coach wants them to play. Yes. They want the ball. They they can and if they don't have the ball, they're gonna make it very difficult for you to play and enjoy yourself on that day, to your point. Mm-hmm. So I think it's you know, they're second place in the supporters shield for a reason. Uh they're yep. they're clearly one of the best teams in Major League Soccer. I think they have the chip on their shoulder that we always talk about. Uh, A team that wants to be great in this league after so many disappointing seasons and playoffs. This could be their year. Yeah, this could be
0: their year, absolutely. And I think it's gonna be one of those that's gonna be interesting to watch as the playoffs unfold. The last, I would say, matchup that I wanna dive into at length is this FC Dallas-Seattle Sounders one. Four left, to Tumasi left-footed cross for Ariola. Flag is down, and Dallas have the lead. They needed something from Ariola in the sixth minute. They got it. One saddle for the home team. Not that it matters here, but Seattle just have one penalty this season. But now Dallas have two. Morris might have a beat. He does. He's in behind Ibiaga No whistle. Morris all the way through, and he tucks it. In up. The flag goes up. Jordan Morris irate, as are the Sounders. Rosendo Mendoza will go over to the referee's assistant. Yeah, it's Brooke Mayo, AR2 on that far side. Immediately comes over. The flag has been raised. It's a difficult one for me to handicap. And in large part because if the FC Dallas that shows up in Dallas shows up in game three, uh, match three in Seattle, then Seattle's going to be up against it. They are, because I think Jesus Ferrer is the the wild card here. If he starts scoring goals, he's only got three three or four goals in his last 15, 16 appearances. But all of a sudden, if he does that, and Bernard Kamungo, who I absolutely love, how about that story, by the yeah. way, you had his him. family watched him play for the first time, and what does he do? Balls I mean, out. it's amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. He, he's, he, he wins a penalty. He, he gets an assist within, like, 20 minutes of the game. It's one of the best stories ever. I like Seattle's, I would say, understanding of playoffs, but I think FC Dallas could maybe sneak one out of this if they get the first goal. You?
1: Yeah, no, I I thought Seattle looked really good in game one. I was like, wow, this is the Seattle team that you expect to be showing up in the playoffs, Jordan Moore scoring goals. Just really organized, and and they also looked faster. You know, sometimes you think of Seattle as like being a little too methodical. You know, they were playing fast, and it, it was a good game. That yeah, they go back to Dallas, and Dallas does the complete opposite from what they did in Seattle. They were very sound. You know, Nico Steves, I think he's a, he's a good coach, a good young coach that has a style of play, but he has a young team, and so you don't always see the best out of that group. Uh, for me, and you haven't asked me, Taylor, but it's like this is the series that I think is like. The game three, the series, the format, like, to me, you take Seattle and Dallas and you can determine, is this the best format for these teams? I don't Mm. love the game three. Again, like, I think the games have been great because the players are just going all out. But now, if you're Seattle, you know, you probably would have wished, like, all right, like, we could have closed this out in game two. Maybe we go to Pens and we just get out of there and we and we move on. Now you've got to play a third game, and you're you're giving life to this underdog team like FC Dallas. Perhaps that's the whole purpose of the format. But I agree, it's it's a bit of a toss up. I think when you're in Seattle, you want to favor the Sounders, though.
0: You want to just on turf yeah. and the fact that FC Dallas has taken a long, long time, and it's been a long time since they've won there. Let's just touch a little bit. Real Salt Lake, Houston. Four on the wall to protect the near post for Steve Clark as you've got Saverino stepping over with the right foot and Veda, who's hit some absolute lasers with his left foot available as well. It'll be Savarino. We're all level at one. I think Houston is similar to Orlando city. I think they take care of business at home and I don't think Sporting Kansas City wants to play the Houston Dynamo on rust.
1: Yeah, my concern for the Houston Dynamo is goalkeeping. You know, I think you saw yep, that in that agreed. last game. You know, this is a team that I, I like them. They're they're confident. They play really well. They won the Open Cup tournament. They have a trophy. They have all this confidence. But in the playoffs, you know, those small details really matter. You know, I think we saw that in that game too, Roussel Lake, that, you know, they like it took them like 30 minutes to settle into that game at home. But once they he did... did. They're creative players, they're young players, Chicharango comes on and cr- creates four chances right off the bat and then it comes down to yep. goalkeeping in the shootout. you know Zach McMath, I think looked like the better goalkeeper versus Steve Clark there. And so that could be what the difference here in, in game three again, it's going to be a tight one and it's going to come down I think to like defense organization, goalkeeping.
0: Yeah, and Pablo Mastrani, every single time his back's against the wall, he's, he does something where Real Salt like kind of feels like they are the underdog. I think even Savarino's goal, I question Steve Clark and the wall yeah. set up the whole makeup of that yeah. goal. That ball was almost hit down the middle. I know Savarino hit it well, but I think goalkeepers would probably tell you they could have done better with that. The one thing goalkeepers have not been able to do is stop Denis Bawanga. He's been perfect from the spot on the season. The Golden Boot winner. 36 goals in all competitions for LAFC in 2023, which took him past Joseph Martinez. I did not know that was that high. So Carlos Vela is the only one in MLS history with 38 goals in 2019 that has more goals than Denis Bawanga. You and I probably agree Lucha Acosta is going to win MVP. I kind of believe Denis Bawanga deserves a little bit more of a shout in that category.
1: I agree. It's like, I feel like Denis Bawanga was just like the golden boot guy all year you know, and like, and then the MVP came down to... I hate guys like that, by the (laughs) way, Felipe. (laughs) A former Golden Boot guy. Yeah. Uh, And it was all about, you know, Tiago Amada and Lucho Costa and, you know, Dennis Buanga, you know, obviously was there, but I agree, you know, I I had to eat crow. Like, I had, I thought Vancouver could, could, could really be the big upset in this series because I watched them on decision day. I felt like it's a team that really knows how to play against LAFC and I thought they could sneak by, but When you have a player like Dennis Buanga, who is, you know, he's coming, he's on fire in the playoffs at the right time. Very difficult to stop. And I still think LAFC is just a really interesting story. Yeah, they're the defending champions, but you're just not sure, like, how good they can be. Can they be consistently good on the road? Do they, you know, does Steve Tarantulo, tends to take his foot off the gas on the road, gives teams life? But they're dangerous. They're dangerous moving forward. And and when you can play without Carlos Vela and win games, you know, that tells you a bit about, I think, the evolution of LAFC that we're sort of witnessing during these playoffs. But yeah, Dennis Buonga, for sure, just an absolute baller.
0: I've done a lot of LAFC games, and I consistently beat the dead horse with this nugget. They are one of the, if not the best, front-running teams. In 17 games this year that they've scored the first goal in MLS competitions, they've won 14 of them. Sure. So so they are the first goal comes. If LAFC has it, they're not losing that game. They're just not. Yeah. Now, when you go up against them, you can find a way to navigate. When you score the first goal, it kind of hurts them because they're not the Bob Bradley LAFC, they're the Steve Torundolo LAFC. Yep which is a little different. There's a nuance there. They don't dominate with possession. They don't dominate with the ball the way Bob Bradley loved to. So when they get the first goal, you almost play into their hands for Bawanga and company to be exclusive on the counter. When they get the first goal, they're unbeatable. I'm telling you that right now. When they don't, that's where Steve Terundolo and LAFC have been lackluster. They haven't been with the amount of talent they have, Felipe. They should be better than that in chasing games. But they're not. But I want your take on this because we've had a good conversation today about referees. Sartini's reaction post game. I don't understand, to be honest, why he didn't stop. Because every time that the referee touched the ball, that's actually a a question. Every time the referee touched the ball, he stopped and he gave the ball to the team that he was in possession of the ball. I don't know why. We were in possession of the ball and we lost possession because of him. I don't know why he didn't give us possession immediately. I think... uh, I think Tim is a good guy, but, uh, you know, his, uh, he had, uh, you know. Let me drink. <laughs> I do think he has a point. When the referee runs into a player or touches the ball, the natural reaction of said referee is to what? Blow the whistle, stop, stop, stop it. Stop it's play. a 50-50 yep. ball, right? That is where he's correct. But his overreaction post-game in-game, everything else, Felipe, that can't happen. That can't happen. First off, the goal was called back. It was offside. Like, just have a little moment of perspective there, but I kind of understand the frustration because the Vancouver Whitecaps had the ball 20 yards from LAFC's goal, and he ran into one of their players.
1: Yeah, the play should have stopped. You know that happened yet last night in Atlanta, uh, and it, a very, it did. You know Atlanta was on their way to goal. I think it would have been a goal, honestly. It was like a two v two, and it ran in the ball ran into Chris Spence, the referee and he immediately stopped play. Uh, I don't know what the referee was thinking, you know, in that in that moment in the Vancouver LAFC game, uh, but Vanny Surrentini, you know, he comes out and he makes a joke. It's essentially like an, an old school mob death threat, and. It, I hated just, it. It was just an awful thing to say, you know, in front of the cameras and in front of a microphone. Uh, and we again, you, it, it goes back to what we touched on at the top of the show, Taylor, where if we continue to attack referees, you know, they're already in a difficult spot with VAR and they're, the decision-making, their authority in the moment is already not in their hands, which is, I think that's the the biggest drawback of, of VAR. Uh, but now when you're going out and publicly making jokes that threaten their lives, you know, that doesn't help. Um, but other than that, other than that, you know, I'm I will. i I'm wondering what the league does with that take from Vanny Sartini. But the 18-minute press conference that he gave after the LAFC game, if you haven't watched it, I urge you to go watch it. It's, you know, the guy is just, it's an entertaining press conference. Uh, oh,
0: I love everything about yeah. <laughs> it. Felipe,
1: I love everything <laughs> like, about even, it. Like, go watch
0: it. Even if I disagree with everything... It doesn't matter. He's entertaining. Yeah. He, he's worth the price of admission. But the comment about, no, no, You can't no, do it. You can't no. do it.
1: It's not Wait, funny. first
0: off, it's not, it's not even that funny. You could say what you're trying to say a thousand different ways, and it would have come across in a better manner. I don't care what anyone says to me on that. You could easily have done that. But also, the goal was called back, dude. Yeah. The goal was called back. So, your overreaction looks like you're throwing your toys out of the sandbox. Like, you gotta have some perspective on that too, Felipe. Yeah. I get what he's frustrated on, but the goal did not. Count
1: right. It was just bizarre. He also followed that up by saying the referee was awful, and then he also said, "Hey, I like this guy, but he had a terrible game." Like <laughs> it's like you know he was again. But but hey, this is what the playoffs do to people. Honestly, it's like they don't I remember where they are. They don't remember their it. their upbringing. They don't remember their their manners. Uh, and and then we get to talk about it. So hey, welcome welcome to the playoffs,
0: buddy. How excited are you for a vacation? <sighs>
1: I mean, it, when is it when? when? When can I take a vacation? But I when would do love we get to. it? You won't take one. <laughs> I would love to. I just want to sit in my sweatpants and eat food during this Christmas break. I can't wait.
0: <laughs> my man, I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks to all of you for, for listening. This is another episode of Offside. Every game we talked about today, you can watch only in one place. MLS Season Pass on Apple TV. Offside with Taylor Twalman is a Major League Soccer podcast produced by Apple TV and Rain Delay Media. Our executive producers are Peter Moses and John Yales. John was our editor. Michael Janot was our engineer. Jonah Buchanan was our associate producer. Iggy Monda and Jonah were our researchers. Music was composed by Brian Decker. And I'm your host, Taylor Twalman. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts. It's funny. I am going to wear a Speedo. <laughs> and I'll get arrested by the high school kids that I'm honoring later on tonight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah.